Amen. Thanks, Danny. Well, uh, as you saw, we had VBS this week, and uh, it was it was a great week. I, I got the chance to be the uh, missions teacher. And so uh, uh, the theme, as you saw, was in the wild, and uh, they, they got to look at five snapshots, five stories of Jesus. And of course, uh, we wanted them to understand who Jesus is and why he came and, and why we need to believe in him. So the gospel message. And so uh, the five stories uh, were uh, Jesus at the temple when he was 12. Uh, Jesus being baptized and, and, and then Jesus walking on water and then Jesus at the tomb. And then uh, finally, uh, uh, Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Uh, and I particularly love that story. Uh, I, I just think it's humorous. And, and so those were the five snapshots. If, if you want to go home and, and go through that experience yourself, I've, I've given you the tools you need. Um, and I'm going to mention the theme verse. We're going to read it here in, in just a few moments um, as, as we honor God and his word. Uh, but, uh, I'll, I'll talk about it at the end. It's, it's actually part of my conclusion because, uh, last year I, I had the same opportunity to, uh, preach after VBS and, and the Lord just kind of took a hold of me with the, the, the theme verse and the, and the entire sermon was about the theme verse. But, but this year, uh, the Lord had something different and, and, uh, it's really a, a burden, um, is, is something that he, he's had on my heart. It's something that I've wrestled with even before I was a Christian. And um, I know many have. Uh, it's, it's big. It's, it's too big for me to handle. But, but thankfully we have God. You know, and, uh, and, and it, it's, I was, just to kind of set it up, I was reading about uh, a band I liked back in the 90s. And I was kind of getting reintroduced to them and stuff. And, and so... Uh, they had a really weird song, and I thought, what, what are they saying? And so I went to Wikipedia, and I, I started being blown away by their life, and not in a good way. <laughs> um, it turns out that, that two of the members had publicly renounced their faith in Jesus and, and were now claiming to be atheists. And the other band members had, had publicly admitted that they, they were really struggling uh, with doubts and, and with the way that the church had had treated them, and, uh, but, but they were still there. And I thought, that blew me away. And, and I began to wrestle, and, and I know uh, before I came to Christ, I, I, you know, I wrestled with the problem of evil, with, with what is faith, and my doubts, and my fears. And even after I got saved, I still had doubts and fears. And, and as a young Christian, I thought those doubts and fears were signs that maybe I wasn't saved, and so I struggled with even if I was saved. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I remember a moment when, when I was like, no. I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. That is either real or it's not. There's nothing more I can do. And I still remember that day. But I still have doubts and fears. They're a little different. And, uh, and I think it would be foolish of us as human beings to think that we're not going to have doubts and fears. But it's not that we have them. It's what we do with them. And so I just I had a burden for, for people who were disillusioned and disenchanted and people who had given up their faith or people who had never accepted faith because they're wrestling with the problem of evil. And, and so 
This is our sermon today, The Wounded Heart. And uh, I don't pretend to be an expert, but I am a, a fellow heart. <laughs> so uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't know why this is loosely related. I have the tweet version of my sermon. Uh, it's four tweets or one big tweet because I think it'll all fit in was 140 characters. And the first point is this. People are jerks. The second point is this. I'm a person. The third point, God is good. And the fourth point, God loves jerks. So, I mean, uh, that's basically our sermon, but but we're going to be focusing on uh, a bit more than that. So um, I I would like us to stand as as we read the theme verse, uh, which I'll bring back into the sermon during the conclusion. But in John chapter 20, verse 31, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Amen. Let's pray before we see. Father, none of us are capable. None of us are up to the task, but you are, Lord. And I thank you for the prayers that have been given for me on my behalf that that I would deliver your words. And that is what I want. And I pray that we would hear from you and respond, Lord. And I'm sure that there are people struggling right now in this very room. Or we have close friends or neighbors or coworkers or family that are struggling, Lord. And I I just pray that, that you would speak to us. And that you would help us in, in our struggles. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In your worship guide, uh, we put Job as, as the key verse. And I, I probably will camp out more in Job than anywhere else. And so I thought that was appropriate. And uh, I, I, I wanted to, to, to look at some biblical examples of people that really wrestled, people that really struggled. And in fact, it just popped in my head, Jacob was known for wrestling with God. And I think that's really important because sometimes it's all about just keep going, just keep struggling. You will see that God is good. You will see that he will take care of you. But don't give up. Don't give up. I mean, I, th- I think that's the whole point of the fact that he wrestled with God. He didn't give up. A trickster. A cheater. And God loves him. And God took care of him. And so, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to mention Job and Hebrews. Uh, and uh, I'm going to try and summarize the entire book of Job. So we'll see how this goes. But Pastor, uh, Pastor Stephen uh, mentioned Job, and I think uh, his sermon really influenced me, and, uh, and, and God kept leading me back to Job. And so uh, he, he kind of summarized Job. Uh, you know, Job starts out, it's a really old story, uh, uh, some think, and, 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 and it starts out that Job's really successful, has a lot of land, a lot of uh, cattle, and, and a really big family, and, and, and houses. Uh, you know, he's got it all, the American dream. And Satan uh, uh, comes on the scene and God said, Hell, have you considered my servant Job? And it's interesting because when Satan shows up, it says the, the, the sons of God and Satan show up. So I don't know what that's all about. Some people think Satan hasn't fallen yet. Uh, we don't really know for sure. But Satan, when he was still faithful to God, Satan is the Hebrew word for adversary. So they believe that his job was to judge people. And I guess he just got a little too good at it. 
and got a little too prideful. And, uh, and so it could be that he hasn't fallen yet. And that's why he's in the presence of God. We don't know for sure. But Satan's here. And Job doesn't know any of this. Uh, you know, we don't know when uh, the background for this story was revealed to Job or maybe even uh, 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 to Moses. Job might not have ever learned this till he went to heaven. But we're privy to it. A lot of times, God doesn't tell us why. But in this case, uh, God tells us why. And, and it, it's, it's so that, that we can know God better. It's so that we can grow, you know, and so that Job. And so Job, uh, uh, you know, Satan says, well, well, of course Job's a faithful servant. You've given him everything. You even put a little hedge of protection around him. I can't touch the guy. And, and God said, okay, just spare his life. And so uh, in the first round, because Job faces two rounds of tragedy, in the first round, all his cattle and camels and, and land and, and, and things are just taken from him and destroyed, and with, with the fourth one being he lost all his children. And, and Pastor Stephen read, read uh, uh, Job's uh, conclusion and I think it bears repeating again. It's, there's not a slide. But Job says this. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that was not easy for him to say. Uh, you know, uh, and I, I love that song that, that takes that phrase. Uh, Chris Tomlin, maybe. And, uh, and uh, it's not always easy to say that. And I, I, that's why I also love the song that talks about bringing the sacrifice of praise to God. You know, uh, nowhere in the Bible says you have to feel warm and fuzzy when you praise God. But you can still praise God. You can still acknowledge who He is and what He's done and praise Him uh, for that. Well, there's a second round, unfortunately. Satan comes back and there's a review and, and God's like, see, I told you, Job's faithful. And Satan said, well, yeah, sure, he's faithful. You wouldn't let me touch his life. And God says, okay, you can do whatever you want, but you can't kill him. And so he's struck with sores from the soles of his feet to the heads of his toe, uh, top of his head, heads of his toes, to the top of his head. And it says that, that, that in the end, he was already mourning the loss of his children. Probably, I mean, he probably didn't care about that other stuff compared to his children. And he said he was sitting in the ashes in torment. And then his wife comes up. And she says to him in chapter 2, verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And, you know, I've heard so many pastors say, Satan took everything away but his wife. (laughs) And I, I don't know, there may be some truth to that. Maybe Satan was aware that his wife would do something like this. I don't think Satan knows the future, but maybe he, he's aware. He has minions. He's a smart guy. In fact, uh, I don't think a single human being could go head-to-head with Satan and win. 
That's why James says, submit to God first. This is my soapbox. I hate it when people say, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. James says, submit to God, then resist the devil. It's the power of God that Satan can't cannot withstand. And so uh, Satan's a smart dude. He's got many minions. And he might have known that, that, that she, she would do this. But I, I don't think we should give her such a hard time. She lost everything too. She had the most tragic thing ever just happen to her. And so, I, you know, the reality is she is telling Job to quit to throw in the towel, to give up, and, 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 and just give in. She is doing that. And, and, and I think uh, this story is meant to, to talk to us. Because I think there's times when the very person who should be lifting us up, who should be supporting us, who should be encouraging us, is tearing us down. And I think that's why I was blown away by by the band I was reading on and how disillusioned they had become with the church. And, and, uh, and, and, and it hurts. And, and, and Job is a great story of what not to do. But, but it teaches us uh, some great things. And so she tells him that, and I, and I can't help but read Job's response. You know, so just in the in the end of the first round, at the end of the second round, uh, it's even harder. He's in torment and ashes. And he says in verse 10, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women who would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? But in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And so he's rebuking his wife. He's not saying she's like that all the time, but in the moment she is. And I, and I really think that's what we should say too. We all have our times of weakness. Can you imagine if Satan got the chance to take one thing we said to represent our entire life? I wouldn't want to give Satan that power. I'd be like, no, no, no. One, look at my whole life. And two, focus on the part where I put my trust in Jesus. That's what I would want. And if, if you picked out one moment of weakness, I'd, I'd probably look pretty bad too. And so Job rebukes his wife. He stays faithful to God. And, and he's not saying that God does evil. He's saying that good and evil come from God. He, he's basically saying that everything doesn't surprise God. Everything is part of his plan. And I had a seminary professor talk about this once, and and he finally concluded with this phrase that stuck in my head. And he said, God is sovereign over all things. God has ordained all things. God does not choose evil. God does not want evil. And God does not stand behind evil the way he stands behind good. But God has allowed evil to happen. And in fact, I love the story of Joseph where Joseph tells his brothers, what you intended for evil, God used for good. And we're going to get to that. And so we have Job in torment. The very person that should be lifting him up, they should be consoling each other, is, is, is actually part of the problem. And then his friends show up. And for two days, they do what's right. They just sat there with him. 
Man, if they had not opened their mouth, we'd have a very short book and they would have done what was right. But they start talking. And I know, I know even after preaching a sermon like this and studying this issue, I still say stupid things. I'm, I'm constantly going, why did I say that? And so we can't give them such a hard time because in the end, God tells tells them, you know, go make a sacrifice and ask Job to pray for you. And if he does, I will forgive you. God put their forgiveness in Job's hands and Job prayed for them and they were forgiven. And so you uh, if I if I can, I'd like to boil up their their back and forth discussion uh, uh, between between the three friends and Job. You know, I, I, I always find it difficult. Like when someone quotes Job, I'm like I'm thinking in my head because I don't you know, it's 42 chapters, so I don't have it memorized. And I'm like, is that quote from one of the friends or from Job? Because that really matters. You know, because uh, because unfortunately, and, and this is like all of us, the friends say some true stuff and sometimes they apply it wrongly and then they say some wrong stuff, too. And, and but they also say some true stuff. And, and, and you're like, so you got to really weigh what they're saying. And so uh, but boiled down to their main point. They're basically saying, well, Job, you must have done something wrong. Because this is why this tragedy happened. If you would just repent, things will get better. And I know I'm, I'm a bit hard on myself. And, and I think maybe what we think about ourselves, we project onto others. Because I often think that. When, when I go through struggles or when I go through trials, I think, is God punishing me? Did I do something wrong? And and so I, I, I jump to that same conclusion. And I think it's okay if we jump to that same conclusion, just keep our mouth shut. And I think it would be a lot more healthy to say, Lord, did I do something wrong than to assume I've done something wrong? And maybe you're thinking it about someone else. And, and you know, I, 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 I'd, I'd hate to think that I've crafted the perfect response, but I wish they would have said something like, I'm so sorry, Job. I know that God loves you. Is, is he trying to say something to you? You know, or, or you could stop with, I'm so sorry, Job. <laughs> That's a good place to stop right there. And if God is dealing with them, if God is speaking to them or to yourself, they'll, they'll speak. Maybe they're not ready. <laughs> and, uh, and if you just ask them, you know, you know, state that God is good, state that God loves them, and, and try not to, to, you know, use all those trite, pithy sayings. Uh, but don't shy away from the love of God. Don't shy away from that God is good. And, and, and we'll, we'll get to why in a second. And then just see how they respond. Because sometimes the point is that you be with them. Sometimes the point is that you love on them. And, and, and let God do the work. And so they keep saying back and forth, you must have done something wrong. And Job's like, I, I, I didn't. And if God were here, he would defend me. And, and, and Job, the Bible is quite clear that Job never sinned. 
But after the three friends, uh, a fourth comes along, Elihu. His, his name in Hebrew literally means, uh, my God is he, or you can reverse it around, he is my God. And I, I find Elihu very interesting because he's never rebuked by Job nor God. And so I've often wondered, and I've been sadly lacking in the commentaries, uh, uh, I mean, what's, what's up with Elihu? And in fact, Elihu has a really long discourse where he starts out rebuking Job's friends, and then he rebukes Job, saying, you, you, you know, you're, you're speaking rashly, basically, is what he's saying. You, you don't know what you're saying. Uh, uh, you know, that you don't really have the right to demand that God show up and defend you. You know, and it's true. And in fact, uh, after Elihu finishes, God shows up. No rebuke of Elihu, just goes right into God. And so I often wonder, either Elihu is so horrible that God finally decides, okay, I need to step in, which I don't think is true. Or he's almost like a herald to God. And then God shows up and he tells Job, brace yourself. Get ready, I am here. And, and it's true. And, and for several chapters, God starts talking about the visible world. And he basically uh, rebukes Job. Did you know you can be rebuked even when you haven't sinned? <laughs> you can be wrong and not sin. <laughs> you know? And so he rebukes Job and says, where were you when I laid down creation? I don't recall you being there. And he begins to talk about the visible world and all the amazing parts and things of creation. And that's where we get the Leviathan and and the behemoth. And I remember I had a Bible growing up and and it said, oh, the Leviathan may be a crocodile. And I'm like, really? It's not a crocodile. I don't know what it is, but it it is a fantastic, amazing beast. And the behemoth is the same. My, My Bible said the behemoth may be a hippopotamus. I'm like, no! Can you read the Bible? Can you see the description? And the whole point is that God is saying, look at the visible world. You weren't here when I laid it out, and you're here now, and and the visible world is so vast beyond comprehension. I'm going to stop right there. And so God, without even saying it is, you can't even see the spiritual realm. You can't see eternity You can't be my counselor. And God's saying, I've got this. He never really answers Job's questions. Job is left not having his why answered. We don't know, uh, you know, if the background of Satan and God is ever revealed to Job. It's revealed to us. And Job rightly responds at the very end in chapter 42, if you'd like to turn there. Chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here I will speak. I will question you and you will make me, uh, you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. 
Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. That's how Job kind of ends. And he's, you know, the rest is narrative. Uh, God tells his friends to ask Job to pray for him and then they'll be forgiven. Uh, And then Job is restored. And not a new wife, which makes me think that she isn't all bad, uh, with the same wife. And so Job's conclusion on this is he started out saying God is good. And he ends with God is still good. I don't really know what I'm talking about beyond that. I I spoke too much is basically what he's saying. I, I, I can't comprehend, but God is still good. And so I thought that was a really good place to start. And that's where God kept drawing me back. And then I began to, to think about there's so many stories of people who, who wrestled with, with the, the problem of evil, who struggled with, with things. And I'm not even going to mention even a fraction of them all, you know, but I wanted to mention a, a, a few more. Jeremiah, the prophet, again, Stephen, I'm, I'm stealing all of Stephen's work, is, if, if you haven't figured this out. Uh, Stephen mentioned Jeremiah, the, the weeping prophet. If, if you read the book of Jeremiah, and I hope you will, you, it's, it's full of oracles uh, 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 to, the, to Israel. But in the midst of the oracles, we, we get little glimpses of Jeremiah's life as a prophet. And Jeremiah is struggling. He's, he's abused. He's not listened to. In fact, most prophets aren't listened to. And, and he's even at one point thrown in a well. And, and he's, people have to drop down uh, uh, food to him. And, and, and he's just suffering. And, and I forget how many, but there's times in between these oracles where he is questioning God. And he's asking God, why are you letting this happen? And I want to encourage you right now. It's okay to ask God. Job kind of said he spoke before thinking uh, when he said he demanded that God would show up and defend him and prove that he's innocent. It's when we start making demands that we get in trouble. You know, and I, I love the story of Zachariah and Mary uh, in the birth announcement of Jesus and, and Zachariah. We, we don't see the heart, but, but based on the way the angels respond to them, they give us a picture. And Zachariah disbelieved and Mary was just like, how can this be? You know, I, I'm pretty sure I, I, I know how this works and, and I'm still a virgin. And the angel responded differently based on the heart that asked. And so I I firmly believe that we can come to God with any question, anything. But we still need to be respectful and we should not accuse God of evil. That's when we've gone too far. And and, and as you look at the oracles and and Jeremiah's troubles, he goes too far. And he he accuses God of taking advantage of him. and, And that's putting it mildly. He uses a very strong Hebrew word. And the very next verse says, and when I repented. So Jeremiah, he throws it out there. Yeah, I went too far. It said that God restored him. And so, you know, here we've got Job, not his fault, but he spoke too far and God still loved him. God still took care of him. Here we have Jeremiah who did go too far, a prophet of God. And in fact, uh, 
in the midst of Jeremiah, he's speaking to Israel. Israel who messed up big time. You know, as you, as you study the nation of Israel, I, I, you know, and I didn't make this up, uh, you can kind of picture Israel, the nation, as going through a spiritual journey. Really, from, the, from their birth of the 12 tribes to, to the time of Jesus, as a nation, they're going through a spiritual journey. And they have their, their ins and their outs. They're, they're on with God. They're off with God. They have their troubles. They split in two, you know, church splits. And, 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 and uh, the northern kingdom falls. And the southern kingdom should have learned their lesson. But they're like, oh, we've got the temple. God won't, God won't destroy his own temple They don't know our God. God is good. God will drag his own name through the mud if it means the returning of his child. He is the father in the prodigal son story. God is the hero. And so he let his temple be destroyed. He let his people go into captivity again because they went in Egypt. And Jeremiah says to him, to to these captives, in Jeremiah 29, which uh, 11, I'm sure you're all very familiar with this. And I, I think this would be a very appropriate scripture to share with yourself or with a friend who's struggling as you See fit. I, I think you can wield any scripture in, in, a, in an unkind manner as well. So it, it really just it depends. But here is what God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah to a nation that had failed, to a nation that had lost it all, to a nation that was taken into captivity and questioning what's going to happen now. Are, are we even God's chosen people anymore? And God says to them, really the heart of it uh, in, in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Uh, your, your version might say plans for good. Plans for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Amen. And we need to be people of hope. And God is saying this to a people who had failed, who had messed up. Through a prophet who had failed and had messed up. And so we see these examples. And I might mention Paul. You know, I, 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 when we went through Acts, and God said of Paul, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. And I used to think that Paul was, was getting a little, I'm going to get you, Paul. I'm going to pay you back for persecuting my church. But it's really a call of love. It was really, you know what, Paul? I know you can handle it. And you're going to just see how close you can get to me through the suffering and the trials that I will put on you. And I will carry you through all of them. Because this is the same Paul who in Philippians was beaten and shackled to a wall. And and I don't know. I mean, I have trouble falling asleep uh, in anything but a bed. I've lately been getting better with a recliner. but, But can you imagine trying to fall asleep? Shackled to a wall after you've been beaten and, 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 and hurt. In Philippi, 
and you're singing hymns to God. And the prisoners are so awed by, by the difference in you that when the earthquake, this supernatural earthquake that does nothing to the building but only opens the doors, they all stay put. And it's only a work of God. The same Paul who suffered and he said he was beaten and, and whipped the 39 lashes and stoned and, and, and all this other stuff. We could read the, this torture list that he tells the same Paul who says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may in turn comfort those who need comfort. Amen. Go back and read that. I think it starts in verse 3. He says comfort like five times. God is good. Amen. Really, the question isn't why does he allow evil? The question is why did he save any of us? God is good. And the truth is, his, his gift of salvation through Jesus Christ is offered to anyone who's willing to accept it. All who ask God for wisdom are given wisdom. All who ask God for salvation are given salvation. No one is turned away. God is good. And it's good for us to remind this. And so I, I'm just going to summarize Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Because, like I said, there's so many examples of people who wrestled, who struggled, who were dealing with this very same issue. And chapter 11 is the roll call of faith. And, and, And it really speaks volumes to people who think that if you have God, only nice things should happen to you. We call it the health and wealth gospel. Uh, you look at the roll call of faith, the people who are, are deemed the most faithful to God, and they had a lot of crummy stuff happen to them, just to put it mildly. Yep. And, it, and it ends with uh, they, uh, a verse uh, 38, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering around in deserts and mountains and in in dens and caves of the earth and all of these though commended through their faith did not receive what was promised since god had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect and so the author of hebrews is making this really big case that all the people of faith that went before us are looking forward to something better they have hope and then he says in verse 12 uh, 1 and 2 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. That's the key right there. The founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't have a fancy formula that will make people's struggles disappear. I still wrestle with this. It still blows me away sometimes. But I do have basically one thing in four different ways. Uh, And... What we can do, what I think is best. And the first is this, to lift up Christ. God is good. And uh, it says in John chapter 3 verse 14, he says this. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, that might sound a little confusing if you don't know, but back in the time of Moses, the nation of Israel had sinned by grumbling and complaining, and God had allowed serpents to basically attack them. And people were getting bitten and sick, and some were even dying. And so the nation of Israel repented. repented. And Moses went on their behalf, and God said, Well, set up a snake. A bronze snake. And, and, and anyone who turns in trust and faith to this snake, just all you have to do is look at it and you will be healed. Wow, what an easy thing to do. Also sounds a little ridiculous. I just have to look at a bronze snake and I'll be better? Yeah. And so that's what happened. Those who, who believed Moses, those who trusted him and turned to that snake, they got better. Eventually, that snake became an idol, and one of the kings of Israel had to tear it down. Again, I think that reflects our God who, you know, yeah, that was great. Yeah, I'm glad you remember it, but now you're worshiping it. And let's tear it down. Let's do what's necessary because I care about your heart more than anything. And so, Jesus is saying, just like that snake, you need to lift me up. Just as, 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 as Moses lifted up that snake on a stick and all anyone ever had to do was turn to it to live, that's me. We need to lift up Christ. We need to share the gospel message with our friends. Maybe at the moment of their suffering might not be the best time. Who knows? I, I was doing a door-to-door ministry uh, with some uh, guys at seminary, uh, really good friends. I looked up to them. I learned a lot from them. And, uh, and, and, and it was a very kind of low-key style. We would go to the door. We'd say, you know, hey, we're, we're out here sharing about Christ. And, and, and uh, it was a lot of Catholic neighborhoods. And they'd say, oh, we're Catholic. And we'd be like, we don't care. And the door stopped. It was like, we just want to know if, if you know who Jesus Christ is and if you've ever put faith in him. And a lot of times we'd get to share. But sometimes they'd still be like, well, no, I'm not interested. And so we would be like, well, well can we pray for you? And sometimes they'd share a prayer. And so we'd write that down and, and we'd all come back as a team and we'd pray for them and we'd pray for them throughout that week. And then we might wait a week or two and we'd come back and we'd say, how's this going? Did the Lord answer the prayer? And we left it up to God <laughs> and some people got saved. And, and I love these two guys. Uh, it, you know, they were at a different church. And so uh, I wasn't involved with the discipleship step, but they didn't just leave it there. They got them in small groups. They got them you say, you need to start attending church. They, 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 they had the whole package going. And so, but one day I'm with one of the leaders and, and a third guy. And when there, when there was more than two of us, only two would go to the door and whoever was left would just stay by the sidewalk and pray. I think we learned that from the Mormons, but, you know, they, they can have good ideas, too. Um, and so uh, th- those two guys went forward. It was a young lady, I remember. And uh, I'd been there for about a year and a half now, been doing this with them. And, and I'm sitting there praying for them. And all of a sudden, Jack, that's the leader, he was uh, from Africa, 
he just starts laying, she, she turns him down. He says, well, you know, that's fine, but I just want you to know that, it, that if you die without accepting Christ, that you're going to spend forever in, in, in hell. And I'm like, oh, oh Lord, uh, just, just give Jack wisdom. Uh, I'm, you know, and, and I never heard him speak like that. And so I, you know, I'm just praying for him even harder now. And, and, and he said like three or four comments like that. And she was taking it pretty well. And he came back and he's like, I just felt led to do that. That's our God. Sometimes there are people out there that need fire and brimstone. But I, I, I say only do that if God leads you. Um, but everyone needs to hear about the love of God. We need to lift up Christ and the, who He is, the reason He came, that He lived a perfect life, that He is the Son of God, that He died on the cross because we sinned, and He rose again as proof that the payment was paid and that, that our hope is real and secure. The resurrection is our hope that we too one day will rise again. We need to lift up Christ. It needs to be on our lips. Uh, did, did you notice that in the Job story? And, and all that was on his lips, he did not sin. He still had a little bit of trial left to go. I think that was a foreshadow of his friend showing up. Christ needs to be lifted up in our speech, in our lives. Uh, as, as a pastor myself, uh, you know, I get this one chance for, you know, 30, 40 minutes on a, in, once a week. But what the parents say and do usually determines how the children will grow up. It's, it's an un, I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's an unusual child that decides, you know what, my parents don't know what they're talking about. Every child decides that. I'm going to church. That's where there, where's the un, unusual child who grows up. And many chi- children adopt the spiritual life of their parents. We need to lift up Christ in every area of our life. And really, the next three points are just different variations. Because second... Oh, I, I said I'd mention the theme verse. <laughs> Because this is where it comes. This is where it goes. These things are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing that you may have life in His name. I, I memorized the verse as, as, as the week went on. I, I was familiar with the verse before, but I, I, I thought, well, you know, if the children are going to memorize it, shouldn't I? And I'd like to challenge all of you all to memorize this verse. What a great verse. That we might have life in the name of Jesus. <laughs> the songs were awesome. <laughs> they totally went in line. And so we need to not just lift up Christ, but we need to lift ourselves up to Christ. I, I was planning on reading Psalm 73. I, I especially like Psalm 73 because that's the year I was born. And I, I know it's just a gimmick. But I think it's a fun gimmick. I encourage you all to go read your birth year psalm. And, and maybe you might adopt it like I did. If not, it doesn't hurt to read it. So it's a gimmick, but it's a good gimmick. So go read your birth year psalm. This is my birth year psalm. I read it a lot. 
And, and the psalmist is basically saying, you know, I look around and I see the corrupt and the wicked and the evil, and I almost slipped up myself. I almost even taught the next generation that, yeah, go ahead and be wicked. You'll prosper. But then he stops and he remembers what their end will be. And, and he goes into great length about what their end will be, but we, we all know that. And his conclusion is this in, in Psalm 73. Verse uh, 28. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell of all your works. Amen. So I love the Psalms because the psalmist, Asaph in this case, the psalmists are so honest. They brought their, their man, Lord, it looks like people who are doing evil are prospering. What, what's up with that, God. But the psalmist never accuses God of evil, and he takes his problems to evil. And so I would encourage us, not only do we need to lift up Christ, but we need to lift ourselves up to Christ. We need to take everything that we are to him and just lay it at his feet. Take our troubles, take our woes, take our struggles. And after we lift up ourselves to Christ, we need to lift up others to Christ. We need to take other people, everything they are, and, and, and go before Christ and go on their behalf. I know that some of you are, are prayer warriors. I, I am thankful for you. you. You battle spiritually on your knees for the sake of others. And, and we need to hold you up as an example and do the same. Because even if that's not our natural gift, we need to all be doing that. My mom was a prayer warrior, uh, and, and she told me after things would happen, Oh, I've been praying for that. And, and after I got saved, there was a, 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 a lady in the church who, who was in her wheelchair, and, and I was pretending, to make it short, I was pretending to be a Christian, and I was fooling a lot of people. But she wheeled up her wheelchair as they were thanking me, and some of them were going, I thought you were saved already. And they're, they're in the line, and she goes, I've been praying for you for five years. She knew I wasn't saved. She was a prayer warrior. And we need to lift others up to Christ. And when they have their struggles, and when they have their trials, we need to lift them up in prayer. But I think of that as going to the doctor when you're sick. We need to go to the doctor when we're well. We need preventative medicine as well. We need to go to the Lord when things are great. We need to go to the Lord and guard our leaders, our pastors, Stephen and, and, and Danny and, and, and Corey and Becky. We need to, to pray for our deacons and our teachers and, and our volunteers and the whole church. We need to do preventative medicine. And, and I, I can tell you that, that as I prepared for this sermon, I've known for a month or so, uh, I have felt spiritual opposition. And, and as I jokingly uh, told someone in the crowd, yeah, this is easy when you only have to do it once every four months. And we need to guard our leaders. We need to guard Stephen and Danny and Corey and Becky. Pray for them. Preventative medicine. Lift them up. They need our prayers. We need each other's prayers. And that's what Sunday school is for. 
to make connections on a level where you can share with someone, yeah, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. We don't make those kind of connections in a sermon. You know, I'm not hearing your struggles, but I know some of you are struggling right now. And I'm praying for you. But when someone knows intimately what you're struggling with, what you're sitting in the ashes and torment over, they're going to become a prayer warrior for you. We need to share. We need to pray. And the last two points are really the same points over again. Lift up Christ. Lift ourselves up to Christ. Lift up others up to Christ. Love God with all our heart. Because, and love others as yourself. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and sum up the, the greatest two commandments. Because I don't have a, a fancy argument that will just make someone who's disillusioned with the church feel better instantly. But what I know is, if you love the Lord with your whole heart, sincerely, and you don't give up on that person, they're going to see that eventually. And they're either going to respond, or they're probably going to reject it. But they'll see the love of God. And some will come back, and some will go even farther away. But that's my solution for the wounded heart. To lift up Christ. To lift ourselves up to Christ, to lift others up to Christ, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as ourselves. In time, that band, they got back together. <laughs> they have write new songs and, and, and songs like, I still believe in God, and that's not a title, that's what they're saying in their song. And, and, and I, I've, I've been hearing songs of renewal and refreshment and of returning to God. And, and, and those two guys are still publicly renouncing their faith. But I can't help but think that those friends are loving on them. Those friends are speaking to them. And I'd rather have someone who's angry at God than someone who doesn't care. Because someone who's angry with God is wrestling with God and they just don't realize it. Let's pray.